were missing a, a phone, um, come grab, you can grab it afterwards. Hopefully it won't ring during church, we'll see what happens. But um, Matthew in, in um, chapter 1, I just um, want to share with you a couple of things this morning and then I'll be on, I'm going to close with worship, excited about having the kids with us, appreciate yesterday, Christmas Eve, and um, but as you think about Christmas, I, um, I've just been reminded this week that Christmas really is an individual thing. We have a tendency to get busy and a tendency to uh, just run here, run there, and we miss the individual part of what really is going to take place over these, this, I mean, if you want to, if you celebrated last night, if you celebrate today, but for me, it's just really a time for me to stop and say, you know what, this is about me, nobody else. And it's really easy for me to think about all the other stuff, but it's really kind of neat if I stop and evaluate my heart and say, no, Lord, what am I going to do with Christ this Christmas, individually? Because that's really what he did. He wanted to have a personal relationship with you as an individual. And so in order to do that, he had to send somebody down a cross. And I realize that we're in, we're in the time of the season where we can be caught up in the tree and the lights and the decorations and all the different parts of it. But have we really stopped and said, you know, what will I do with Jesus this Christmas? What will you, as an individual sitting in this seat, I know you look nice, you probably got your red on, you came to celebrate, I know you're in church, that doesn't mean anything. A lot of people go to church. But if God would come this morning and say, I want to speak to you, I think the first question he would ask you is, what have you done with Jesus? Is it just something that we celebrate at Christmas, oh yeah, it's a baby born in a manger, or is it more? Is it more than just a baby? Is he your Savior? Is he your Father? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Matthew is going to give you an account. You've all heard it a lot of different times. But as you think through Matthew's account of what we're going to talk about, I want you to see a couple of things. Begin as you look at your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His, Mary was, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was to be found with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is, is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be a child and should give birth to a son. And which they are to call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave the name. He gave the son the name Jesus. We could spend a lot of time, but I want you just to see a couple different things in here. I want you to see Mary and Joseph. What I want you to see about Joseph is, Joseph was a righteous man. 
Joseph could have just said, you know what, God, I don't really like your plan. God, I don't think your plan is best for me. And I'm sure those are all his original thoughts because he's saying, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to just put her away quietly. There'll be no disgrace that way. And so it's not a big deal because really God is asking him to walk a road that none of you have ever walked before. God was asking Joseph to do something that didn't make sense. God was asking Joseph to do something that wasn't fair. God, I want to marry Mary. I don't want to have to go around and tell my friends that she has a child and it's from the Holy Spirit. God, that's a little ridiculous. God, that's never happened before in history. God, really, this is what you want from me? But because Joseph was righteous, Joseph said, you know, God, if that's what your word is to me, then I'll follow you. I'll go ahead and take her home. She will be my wife. I will be her caregiver. I will make sure that she gets to where she needs to get in order for the son to be born. The other thing about Joseph, in Jewish culture, it's important for Joseph to name the baby. I'm sure, as I said in first hour, most of us that have children, if as the husband, I don't remember having much input into my children's name. Actually, I got vetoed because I had my opinion and I got vetoed on my, my thoughts. I'm sure that never happened in any other household other than mine, but... We don't do a lot of thinking about it. We just, you know, we're just, I mean, Susan had books and she's reading names off to me forever, you know, uh, this name and that name. I'm like, really? Just pick something. I mean, whatever we're going to, just pick it. But this is significant. This just isn't just any name. Joseph, I'm going to make you walk through this road and you can have all your emotions and you can have all your feelings and you can say all that you want to say. But Joseph, I want you to be there that day and I want you to give him one name, Jesus. Because I want everybody to know that I want a relationship with you. And Joseph, you need to stand up and do this. So as you celebrate, and I don't know if you've already done your presents or haven't done your presents. That's all later stuff. What's in front of you today is an opportunity to say, you know what? Jesus is my Savior. Here's something I thought was interesting in this text. Look at verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from your neighbor's sins, your spouse's sins, from the people at work that you don't like sins, from your grandchildren's sins, from your great-grandchildren's sins. Does your Bible say any of that? No. Who's, what does your Bible say? Their sins. Our sins. He was born to save you because you're a sinner. He was born to save me because I'm a sinner. Now I realize this morning that you didn't walk into your, your, your mirror and get all dressed up nice and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am a sinner. I'm a great sinner. Anybody say that this morning in the mirror? What do we do that is natural for us? Sin. What is the next thing that's natural for us? It's not to admit that we've sinned. Because we have bought into the lie of the society. Oh, you're a good person. Oh, you, you, you need some positive reinforcement. Here's a book on 13 steps to make you feel better. It didn't make him feel any better when he was on the cross. He didn't take the feel better route. He didn't take the positive route. He didn't take the route that says, you know what, let's just make me happy. 
Let's make me valuable. Let's make me think good about me. Let's make sure everybody likes me. No, that's not what he did. He was born in a manger. He walked the road for 33 years where people were against him. Ultimately, he allowed those people to crucify him. Because he wanted you to have forgiveness of your sin. He wanted you to be free. He wanted you to have hope. And so this morning as you've gathered around the Christmas season, I recognize that you've set up lights. I recognize you've done all of those things. But my question to you this morning is, what have you done with Jesus? There's something true about all of us sitting in this room. We're all sinners. Have you went to him and said, you know what, I really am enjoying this season because I am free because of you. I have hope because of you. I have eternal life because of you. I am who I am today because of you. As I was doing some reading this week, I'm I'm pretty sure you all have a Christmas tree in your home. Some of you have real trees. Some of you have fake trees. I was, I was made aware of this morning that some of you, already, you have a Christmas tree that's already been pre-lighted. So you didn't even have to go string the lights on it. But, you know, but what I thought was interesting this week as I've been reading is most of us have spent a lot of time on the outside of the Christmas tree. You've put all the decorations that you wanted in certain places You've probably stood back and squinted your eyes because that's what we're supposed to do at our house to see if there's any gaps around the... the... Why are you all giggling? you do that at your house? But you know what I don't think most of us thought about? That what was inside of the Christmas tree. The wood. The cross. Oh yeah, we spent a lot of time making sure it looked good on the outside. But deep down inside of the tree, in almost every single home that celebrates whatever they're going to celebrate, inside is a representation of the cross. Of a representation. Oh, they might not celebrate Jesus as the Messiah or Lord, but it doesn't matter to Jesus. He wanted the whole world to stop saying, you know what? I'm willing to die on a tree for you. Oh yeah, go ahead and buy your Christmas tree. Oh yeah, go ahead and put the glitter on it. Put the lights on Make it look good. Go ahead and put presents all around it. But just know one thing. That I was willing to die for you. I was willing to create a tree that I was going to die on. I was willing to set aside all the glitter and glamour that I deserved. Say, here, here's my life. I will be a servant to you. See, most of us got mostly excited about the lights and the star and the presents and the family and the tree and all the different things that go along with us but have we really stopped and said you know what about the cross this Christmas what about the one person that was brought to death so the rest of us would have life the cross brought death to one and life to those who asked cross brought death to one in life to those who asked. Have you asked for life? Have you said, well, I want you to be my Savior? Oh, something true. 
All of us are going to sin most likely this afternoon. Depending, if you're really holy, you might be able to make it out of the parking lot without sinning on the way out. That's those goody two-shoe church people that can make it that far. But we're all sinners. Just, just put it all on the table. Let's lay it out on the table. You need to say. And I guess one of the things that the way I love to describe this is, is as I think about a Savior, I think about a Father. I think about God the Father saying, you know what? That earth that I created, I started with Adam and Eve. But as it went along, it was really messed up. And those people were broken. And those people needed help. And those people needed encouragement. And those people needed hope. And so the Father said, you know what? That's great. I will make sure that I will sacrifice my best gift so you can have hope. Now most of you in here, if you've you've been a parent, you go through different phases of parenting. I was just thinking about this uh, after first hour. You get to the part where they're one and two, and they, they want to be around you, but you don't want to be around them because they're like, they're just really sinners. You know, it's like they're just kind of selfish. And then they get into that middle school part where you know that you want to be around them, but they're going to probably publicly embarrass you because they're in middle school. And you're like, you know, what? I really don't want to do this. And then as they get older, you want to be with them, but they have something called keys. And they kind of go where they want to go, and they'll let you into their world if it's convenient to them, right? And all through this thing called parenting, all through all of that, what your goal is, is to make sure that you protect your children. That's our goal. Make sure they don't get hurt real bad in the process. But now think about this. God the Father said, you know what? I will allow my son to be hurt for you. God the Father says, I'm going to allow this guy to be born through Mary and Joseph, to be named Emmanuel, God with us. And God says, hey, I want this relationship with you. In order to do that, my son will be broken. My son will be beaten. Now, I, you won't, I mean, if you're bigger than me, you can do what you want with my family. But I will do whatever to protect my family. I'm not just going to say, okay, here's Seth, just go beat him up for the fun of it. Let's just be fun. I don't care how, I mean, I like you a lot, but it ain't going to happen. But God the Father said, he wanted, and see what God the Father had for you? Was hope. Salvation. And the only way that you're going to have God as your Father is to say yes to Jesus. To say yes to the one that was born in the manger. To say, I accept this free gift. And until you do that, it's like you wander around life just getting knocked left and right and left and right and you don't really have purpose. It's kind of like there's a hole in the center of your life and until you put Jesus in there, it doesn't make sense. Until you say, oh, you want to be my dad? You want to help me today? You want to encourage my heart today? Yeah, that's, that's what was at stake. When we, when we read Matthew, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will be a child and should give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with you. That's why Jesus came on this earth. So that you could be with God. I want you to go with me to Colossians chapter 1. 
Colossians 1. Pick it up in verse um, 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy. So if I've said yes to Jesus, I come back to this passage of Scripture. Okay, Jesus, I've said yes to you. We'll live a life worthy of the Lord. May please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, where He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So as you think about Colossians chapter 1, 10 uh, through, through 14, life worthy. Are we pleasing? Are we bearing fruit? Are we continuing to grow as a Christian? Or are we that individual that's like, you know what, Jesus, thank you, but no thank you. Thank you for my forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I can have eternal life. But then no thank you how you want me to live my life. Isn't that interesting how we've almost kind of in the Church of America said, well, yeah, I've got forgiveness of sin, but I get to do what I want to do. When Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, you don't sense any of those things. You sense Paul saying to these believers, live a life that's worthy of Please Him, bearing fruit, growing. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to your strength. According to your cup of coffee. According to your attitude. According to your nap. According to your bank account. According to whatever pleases you. Is that what your scripture says? Then why do we live like that? Why don't we stop and just say, you know what, Dad? I need some strength today. Dad, I'm weak. Dad, I'm going to depend on you. And why we don't do that? Because we believe the lie of the world. That we've got it all together. The last time I read James chapter 4, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. As you keep on going, it talks about great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share an inheritance. I've been qualified to have an inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light for he has rescued me. And don't think about the word us. Think about me. He rescued you. See, I'm not against this. I'm not against talking about Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. What I'm against is, I don't think most of us have stopped this Christmas and said, thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me. Because I deserve death. But you give me life. I deserve punishment, but you took my punishment. I don't deserve a present. I don't. I deserve to die on a cross because I'm a sinner. He gave me life because he was willing to say, yeah, I want you to have forgiveness. I want to rescue you. 
I want to set you free. And how does that take place? Scripture is very clear. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, of his son he loves. In him, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Where does the redemption come from? The baby that was born in nature. No other place. Where does hope come from? The baby born in a manger. Where does encouragement come when you're discouraged? The baby that was born in the manger. So as I as I end our time together, what will you do with Jesus? And, and let's be honest. He knows your heart. So maybe sometime through the season, you just need to stop. And it's really going to be one of two answers. It's either going to be yes or it's going to be no. There is no little in-between here to say, well, you know, Jesus, you know, I want to be like the fence person. You don't, this isn't a fence game. You're either a Christ follower or you're a Satan follower. There is no in-between. There's times we can be deceived and confused and distracted. I understand that. But ultimately, it's either yes to Jesus or no to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. Or no to Jesus. See, this Christmas season, will you accept God's provision? Will you accept that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be your savior? Or maybe you can look at it from this perspective. He sent, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be your sin bearer. He sent Jesus so that he would be the payment and that you, what you and I have to do is say, you know what, I believe. I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm going to accept the free gift. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. And saying yes to Jesus, does it guarantee that my life is going to be convenient and easy and nice and a lot of fun? No, it's not. But no matter what happens in my life, there is one rock that always holds true. His name is Jesus. Doesn't matter how deep the water gets, doesn't matter how rough the water gets, doesn't matter how shallow the water gets. He's always been there. So this, this morning, um, Nancy's going to turn down these lights, and this is one of my um, favorite little devotionals that I've been reading. It's called Paul David Tripp, New Morning Mercies. Uh, and so I've been reading. Uh, his stuff, and I really, really enjoy it. And so, Nancy's going to kill the lights, except for the Christmas tree and the cross. And I just want you to, to listen to these words. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, uh, for all of us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charges against God elect? God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, 
For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep that have been led to the slaughter. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither life, nor nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present, or anything to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8. Sit in front of your Christmas tree and read these words out loud to your loved ones so that you will remember what the Christmas story is all about. Remember that Jesus willingly endured constant rejection, life-ending injustice, so that you and I would experience unaltered, unshakable, undefeatable love of God forever. Remember that he readily went unloved so that we would know constant love. Remember that he deserved to be loved but was rejected so that we who deserve to be rejected would be eternally loved. Remember that he was willing to to he was willing to subject himself to the fickle, failing love of his followers so that we would know faithful, unfailing love of the Father. Remember that he endured separation so that nothing could separate us from the Father's love. As you remember these things, remember this. If God was willing to give up his Son so that we would know his love, doesn't it make sense that he would also, with him, give us everything else that we need? The promise of Christmas story is unshakable love and every need met. Now that is worth celebrating. Father, thank you. Thank you that you gave us your son. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for allowing us to be together as a family. So Father, as you you see our family, he knows your heart this morning. And he loves you. Do you love him? Have you said yes to Jesus? Father, you know who need to say yes to you in this room. So I pray, Father, you draw their hearts to you. Father, you know who needs encouragement in this room. So I pray, Father, you encourage me. Father, thank you for allowing us this Christmas season. Thank you for the reminder of the cross. Father, thank you for being willing to give up your son so I could have life. Thank you, Father, for giving up your son so we could have life. So, Father, may our life truly matter. Father, may our hearts truly long to be a follower of your son. Thank you for allowing us to celebrate Christmas, Father. In your name I pray. Amen.